Good morning. No, really, when I say it, you should say it back. Good morning. <laughs> uh, as you can tell, I'm not with you this morning. Um, it's actually about uh, 10.18 on Saturday night. Um, I'm in Apison, Tennessee this morning, so I recorded this last night from you guys' perspective and just want to explain a little bit about why I'm not there this morning. Uh, you've heard of the Steps to Hope organization. This is what Mark Wilson's put together over the past year and this week, uh, half of this last week and half of the upcoming week, we're building a home for Andrew Smith and his wife Tori. Uh, Andrew's a wounded warrior, lost both his legs in Afghanistan and has uh, living in the Apison area, and we've taken on a project to build him a home in one week. And uh, today, uh, Saturday, is day three of the build. Um, I'm running material staging, which is basically organization. Don't worry, those of you that know me, uh, I won't be touching any aspect of the build. Uh, I'm not picking up any hammers. I'm not painting any walls. Organizing things, so uh, all the materials and the skilled labor that's going on site that comes through me, and uh, I get to be uh, master organizer for the week. So, uh, if you could keep us in your prayers, that'd be great. Uh, it's a lot of long hours. Uh, we still need more volunteers. If you want to go to steps the number two hope dot com, you can sign up, uh, and we need lots of help. So. Uh, as we get into this morning's text, you can open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Um, as we do each week, we'll review with reading last week's text. So last week's text was Galatians 4, verses 8 through 20. Uh, Terry Bolden spoke to us last week about Paul's fears for the church there, the churches there in Galatia. Uh, so let's read that text, and then we'll get started with today's text, Galatians 4, 21 through 31. So Galatians 4 verse 8, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements, to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that they may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Now, immediately after challenging his listeners to know truth, uh, Paul finishes this two-chapter section, verse, uh, chapters 3 and 4, by teeing up the final section. And when I say teeing up, I mean 
preparing to do something. And those of you that have played golf before are very familiar with the concept of a tee. A tee is a little plastic or wooden uh, object that you rest the golf ball on. Now, some of you are extraordinarily good golfers, and you would never consider using anything like this. This is the majority of what I use on the golf course. Uh, broken tees that I find on the tee boxes before. Uh, so some folks use very, very small tees, and that has a purpose. Some people use a normal size tee. This is uh, standard tee height. Right? And some folks use extra long tees. This elevates the ball significantly off the ground uh, for a very specific golfing purpose. I have no clue what that purpose is. I'm not a good golfer. Uh, but some folks like to use these. And in today's text, in Galatians 4, verses 21 through 31, Paul uses a very, very long T. He looks all the way back to Genesis chapter 16, 17, and 18 to retell the story through a different lens of Sarah, Hagar, Isaac, and Ishmael. So he tees up with a very long T this text to walk us into Galatians chapter 5 and chapter 6, which really explain the theology behind why we have this freedom in Christ. So chapters 1 and 2 were about Paul and him defending his apostleship, that you should listen to me and my message is significant. Chapters 3 and 4 were the theological context where he walks us through what the law is and why we don't want to be in bondage to the law and how it's uh, antithetical to grace and they can't exist together. And then chapters 5 and 6, once he tees them up at the end of chapter 4, chapters 5 and 6 really dive into the freedom. Uh, and if you recall, at the top of your handout, uh, we've entitled the series Galatians Freedom for Life. And what we're talking about here is that the first two chapters set up the next two chapters, which set up the really the, the fun part of Galatians, which is Christianity is about freedom. It's not about bondage. Uh, and I think we'll see that. Uh, and we'll see that, that Paul is telling uh, the story of God, and the story of God is a much bigger story than we're generally aware of. So let's look at Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 21 through 31. So verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. So if you remember, uh, Galatians was written uh, to this group of churches that are being persecuted by Jews who believe that these new believers these new Christian believers, these new converts, should adhere to the Old Testament law. And the only problem with that is that's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the apostles taught. So, the question is, who is Paul writing to here? Is Paul addressing this to the Judaizers who desire to be under the law, or is he addressing the new believers who also desire to be under the law? And I, I think the answer is probably both. Uh, he's addressing both schools here. So the next logical question for me is, why in the world would you want to be under the law? Why would someone want to be under the law? Um, and I think there's a pretty simple answer, and it's because, and here's your first blank, because checking a list makes me feel good about my performance. There's something that I get to do, and then I get to check it off. Yep. And see that I got to be good. And living according to grace and love, apart from the law, makes Jesus look good. Uh, because only through the filling of the Holy Spirit can that be done. 
we can't make Jesus look good on our own. When we try to keep a list, we make ourselves look good. And we've all done this, right? We've done something at work or something at home or something for our spouse or something for our parents where we were really in it for us and we weren't in it for Jesus. Because when we do things for us in our flesh, in our power, we look good and we like to look good. Uh, many of you are wondering right now, what is that on Jim's face? Is that a bit of color on Jim's face? Yes, it is. I've been outside in the sun. Uh, and I think I look better with a little bit of color on my face. The only problem is I'm allergic to everything outside. So if you'll please continue to pray for me this week that I don't sneeze my head off while I'm outside helping to build this house, that would be great. But when I look at this, I, I actually, the video that I've got going, I can see myself in the video. And Dave Barber just sent me a text, so I'm going to close that. Thanks, Dave. Good shout out for you there. But when I see myself in the, in the video, I see the color and I go, wow, that looks, that looks a lot better. I like that. But that's something that I did. I went outside and I got a result and I feel better about my result and my action. It can be small things. It can be big things. But when we live according to the law, we're checking the list. It's rules. So checking the list makes me feel good about my performance. Living according to grace and love makes Jesus look good. So there's a big difference there. So verse 21, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Um, quite a while ago, we did a series on anthropomorphisms. Now, that's a hard word to say, but it's a harder word to say at uh, 10.30 at night. Anthropomorphisms. And it's giving human characteristics to inanimate objects. Uh, and that's what Paul's doing here. The law itself literally is a book. It's a collection of books, right? The first five books of the Bible. And the idea being, Paul is saying the law is alive. The, the law is telling a story. God is telling a story as we go through his word. And what story is the law telling? Well, the law is telling us that living according to a list of rules is oppressive. The Israelites did not enjoy living under the law. They didn't. Even when Jesus came and explained to them what the purpose of the law was, to show, him, to show us our own shortcomings, to show us that He, the Messiah, met the law, they didn't like it. It wasn't fun. Living under the law, living under, according to a set of rules, is not fun. There's no joy there. Now, there can be pride in my own accomplishment, but there's no joy there. There's a big difference. Living under grace and love is freeing. And that's the point that Paul is teeing up in this text. So verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. So pop quiz. Somebody get out your Bible and let me know who the two sons of Abraham were. Somebody say it out loud. Alright, so somebody should have said Isaac and Ishmael. So which one was born first? That's right. Ishmael was born first and then came Isaac. Uh, Julie's in the background laughing at me a little bit here because I'm pausing, not knowing that someone did, in fact, say the answer, hoping that someone did. Uh, so if Anna's in there, Anna, I need you to speak up now. If you're not, uh, need somebody else to speak up and give me answers as we go through. 
So verse 22, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. Now, what Paul doesn't do here is he doesn't go into a great amount of detail retelling the story of uh, Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael. He just assumes his readers know it. And I hope that you have a passion for the scriptures so that when one of our pastors or one of our Sunday school teachers steps up and starts talking about an Old Testament story or a New Testament text, that you're familiar with that text and that you've engaged the scriptures so that it's here, it's not just here. Um, But we have to spend time in the Word to get it here and to get it here so that when our pastors and when our teachers stand up and speak, that we can look at more than just the letter of the Word, we can look at the bigger story as well. So this is uh, Genesis 16, 17, and 18, uh, and certainly a text that that the Judaizers would have known well. Um, It's really interesting that that Paul uses one of the central figures of the Old Testament in the argument against the law having domination in a New Testament believer's life. Uh, I love how Paul sees the big picture and the Holy Spirit spoke through him to write these words. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one, and if you notice in your handout, I've got brackets, and I'm just going to put the names of the people that he's referencing here into the text to make it a little little bit clearer. Abraham had two sons, the one Ishmael by a bondwoman Hagar, the other Isaac by a free woman Sarah. But he who was of the bondwoman, that's Ishmael, was born according to the flesh. Now if you remember the story, God came to Abraham, he was very old, he was older than very old, he was very, very old. He was way past the age of having a son. And said, you will have a son. And I think to some degree, Abraham believed him. Uh, but Sarah had a different reaction, Abraham's wife. Sarah laughed. And God heard that laugh. And he was not pleased with that laugh. And, uh, and there were some consequences of that, to not believing God and his word. And just as there are consequences in the New Testament believer's life today of not believing God and his word. Uh, We have to accept God at His Word and believe it and know that it's true and right and holy and just and good for us. Um, So we've got this one who was of the bondwoman, born according to the flesh. So according to the flesh. And what I'm thinking of here when he says born according to the flesh is that Abraham had fleshly faith, and here's your blank, in Abraham to fulfill God's promise and to provide for Abraham. So Abraham had a faith in Abraham, which isn't what we think about Abraham for because Abraham's in the hall of faith in Hebrews 13 where we talk about the faith of Abraham how he did these mighty things and was wonderfully used by God but he like all believers had lapses in faith he had lapses in confidence in God that God would do exactly what God needed to do so Abraham had fleshly faith in Abraham Abraham did not trust God to provide uh, via God's plan for marriage And God's plan for marriage is one woman and one man for as long as they both shall live. It's very straightforward. It's very simple. Um, And one of the things that that we have to remember uh, is that, and here's your next blank, God never violates his previously written written word to accomplish uh, what God wants done. He never violates it. So verse 23 says, But he who was of the bondwoman Ishmael was born according to the flesh, 
and he Isaac of the free woman through the promise. And the promise is this promise that God would give him a son. And when God gives you a promise, latch on to that and hold it tight and know that he's going to deliver and know that he's going to come through. But also know that he will not violate his word to make his promise come true. Um, he just will not do it. God is holy and completely consistent with himself. Um, and here's what I mean when I say that, consistent with himself. We are very inconsistent people. Even those of us who feel that we... Uh, are rather disciplined and organized and orderly, uh, are still considerably inconsistent at times. And if you want an example of this, think about how we relate with our children relative to discipline. How often are we inconsistent with discipline with our kids? The small stuff, the big stuff, the stuff we know about, the stuff that we don't, we're very inconsistent. Uh, Julie and I have talked many times, and, and I feel that one of the hardest things about parenting is just consistency. Is waking up every single day and providing a solid, consistent example and doing the same thing and going through life and making sure that they see consistency in us that reflects the consistency with which God loves us every single day and the way that He engages and treats us with consistency. So, God is very consistent. Um, and he's never going to violate his previously written word to accomplish any promise that he makes. So, verse 24. Which things are symbolic? If you don't have this circled and underlined and highlighted and starred in your Bible, I would strongly encourage you to do so. You've heard me say over and over and over and over again that the Old Testament points to Jesus. And that's where we get this. These things are symbolic. So I have a question. Did Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Isaac and Ishmael, were they real people? Yeah. Yeah, they were real people. They really lived. And, head nod to Sean McGarvey, and is better. And, God's telling a bigger story. And God's using their specific lives to tell a bigger story. So let's see what Paul does with that. These things which are symbolic. Now, most people would, would agree that the New Testament is about Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus as well. Because these stories God is using to weave together, to tell this overarching theme of redemption all the way from Genesis to Revelation. This theme of redemption, this theme of God's tying it all together and it all fits in together extremely well. So these things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, and your translation may have a different word here, are contracts. Covenant's just a, a legally binding contract. Uh, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai. So what was done on Mount Sinai? Well, that's where Moses received the Ten Commandments. That's the location that the law was given on the earth. That's your blank. The law was given on the earth. And the idea here is that Paul is drawing a contrast between the two covenants. So... Think about the one, Mount Sinai is on the earth, right? Then, and it, which gives birth to bondage. So the law gives birth to bondage. So those of you ladies in the room that have, that have given birth, um, you gave birth to a beautiful bundle of joy. You gave birth to something that changed your lives radically. Well, the law changed everybody's lives as well. The law put boundaries around things. The law put guidelines in place. The law put 
structure and order where man thought he was okay. And God set the bar high. He set it so high that nobody ever met all the law. Until this guy from Galilee showed up and met it all. And he was miraculously healing people. And he was bringing people back to life. And he fulfilled the law and the prophets. And he changed everything. And when he fulfilled it, and when he died on the cross and rose again for our sins, Jesus changed everything. Nothing was ever the same ever again. So these things are symbolic. For these two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, the location that the law was given on the earth, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So he very clearly associates the law and the earth with Hagar. And Hagar's child was Ishmael, which is Hagar. Verse 25, for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which is now. So he's tying it together from the past, the Old Testament past, to the New Testament reality. Put yourself in Paul's timeline of you know, 40, 50 B.C., I'm sorry, 40, 50 A.D. So he's connecting those two events to the law. Some folks have been keeping that law that whole time, right? That's a long time to keep the law, guys. That's a long time. And it was still in bondage. It was bondage then. It was bondage when Paul was alive. It was always under bondage. And is in bondage with her children. Meaning the Jews that are alive then were still under bondage to the law. Because here's your blank. Rules will never set you free. Rules will never set you free. They just won't. They never give you freedom. They never give you joy. They only give you a checklist and the ability to have pride in yourself. One of the reasons that Jesus summed up the law and the prophets by saying, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, was that that's hard to put on a checklist. Right? It's really hard to put. It's part of the law. But it's the crux of the law. That's the heartbeat of the law. The heartbeat of the law is loving God and loving others as yourself. But the way in which it's structured with its rigidity is very easy to put into a checklist. And rules will never, ever set you free. Verse 26. But the Jerusalem above. So Mount Sinai is on earth. The Jerusalem above. This is the Jerusalem that will be one day. This is the heaven. That's your blank. The heaven. Heaven is free. That Jerusalem is free. See, the law, the law causes you to have to keep a checklist. Grace, there's no checklist. Grace is the checklist that's handed to you from Jesus Christ himself where there's one box checked, and that's righteousness. It's his righteousness that he's already done and accomplished for us that he hands to us freely so that we have no checklist. We have freedom in him. And this makes all the difference in the world. It changes everything. So heaven is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Verse 28, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. So just as he tied that Old Testament law to Hagar, now he switches. He says this new promise, this new freedom from above is connected to Isaac. And if you remember in the Old Testament, the firstborn, that's who got the inheritance. 
And the firstborn in the Old Testament was Ishmael. But Abraham did it wrong. He went outside of God's plan for marriage. And, and just, I'm going to push pause here for just a second. Um, the, the Supreme Court of the United States did something this week that will have profound and long-lasting impact on our nation. Uh, when Julie and I and the kids were in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago, we, uh, we actually were there the day outside the Supreme Court. We were there outside the Supreme Court the day that the Supreme Court was listening to the Doma arguments. And my children got to see the protesters, the massive number of protesters that were like 50, uh, that were protesting uh, Doma and the Defense of Marriage Act and uh, one man and one woman for as long as you both shall live. And uh, I, I remember telling the kids, you know, you're, you're watching history. Uh, whichever way this goes, you're watching history. And we, we had breakfast uh, this last weekend, and we talked about, uh, I'm sorry, when did we eat lunch? We had lunch together, or dinner together, Monday, after the, uh, maybe it was Tuesday, I don't remember. I'm talking to Julie, she's over here, sorry. Um, the, uh, I remember telling them that evening after the decision came out that things are changing. And, and the way that our Constitution is written, the Supreme Court can make decisions that impact all of us. But the reality is the Supreme Court cannot change the Scripture. We have a more sure word that will withstand America. I want you to think about that for a second. There will come a day when America is no longer a country. There will never come a day when the truth of God's word is broken. Man can pronounce whatever judgment man wants to pronounce. God's word will always be true. Man can redefine and relabel and relaw and re-anything what they want to do. God says marriage is between a man and a woman for as long as they both shall live. And that's a fact. Nothing we do can change what marriage is in God's eyes. So, the sky is not falling. The world is not coming to an end. Jesus is still king of the universe. He is still coming back to get us. God's word is still true. The Holy Spirit is still lighting fires in our hearts. We have work to be done. Don't get discouraged over what nine people in dresses decided this past week. It'll be okay. Jesus has a plan. I promise. So, back to the text. Verse 28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac were, are children of promise. We're not under the law. We're not connected with this Sinai-Ishmael-Judaism relationship. We're connected with the New Jerusalem, the heaven, and Isaac. So I started by saying Isaac was the second born. And in the Old Testament, the firstborn got the inheritance. Well, the problem for Isaac was that his daddy went the wrong way. He decided to go with Hagar and have a child outside of his marriage. And God did not recognize Ishmael as the heir. God told Abraham, I will give you a son. And the scripture is very clear 
that a man and a woman, when they become joined together in marriage, become one. And when God told Abraham, I will give you a son, he meant you and Sarah. He didn't mean you and somebody else. It's never right with somebody else. I promise you guys, it's never right with somebody else. Only problems come with somebody else. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Just let that sink in. We're the children of promise. A promise made thousands of years ago. A promise that is still true today. A promise that will be true a thousand years from now. A promise that will be true when we no longer record time by how often we revolve around the sun. A promise that will be true when we have spent billions and billions of years with Jesus. We are children of the promise. And that promise will never end. Many of, us, many of us have made promises in our lives that we've had to break or, or go back on or, or unfortunately just altogether abandon. But God doesn't abandon His promises and He won't abandon us. That's a promise. Verse 29. But as He who was born according to the flesh, and who was that? That was Ishmael, then persecuted Him who was born according to the Spirit. That's Isaac. Even so it is now. And, and many of us have been on the Judaizer side. We've been on the, the rule-making and the list-checking and uh, that side of Christianity where we sit in judgment of those that are expressing their freedom in Christ. And I hope you're not. I hope you're encouraging your brothers and sisters in their freedom in Christ because there's a lot of freedom in Christ. And we're going to spend the next a couple of months learning about that freedom in Christ, that Galatians 5 and 6. That's some fun stuff. You don't want to miss those lessons. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? When you come to the point in your life when you're ready to make all your decisions by that question, that's maturity. So which way should I go? I don't know. What does the Scripture say? Well, how should I do this thing? I don't know. What does the scripture say? It's a beautiful thing. Paul points us right back to the only thing that will never change. And that's God's word. So what does the scripture say? It says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. It says, cast out the law. You know why? Because the law and grace cannot coexist. Think about this. Abraham had a son with Hagar, Ishmael. Abraham had a son with Sarah, Isaac. Let's put them all under one tent and pretend to be one big happy family. You can clock the success of that with an egg timer. <laughs> That's not going to work. And the same way, you cannot have the law and grace coexisting peacefully. Something's got to give. And it's the law. It's got to go. And it was gone. And Jesus fulfilled it. Boom. That's it. That was the end of it. So verse 31. So then, brethren, and, and I don't know how he can make it any clearer than this. We are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. 
So what are you saying, Jim? What's the point? Application number one. We are not under the law. We are not under the law. So what do I do with that? Well, I think we need to be constantly reevaluating our lives to see if there's any law in me. Is there law in me? Is there a part of me that likes to keep a list and check it off and feel good about that? I'm not talking about being productive at work. I'm talking about relative to our spiritual standing before God. Do I feel like me, Jim, right now, recording this Sunday school lesson makes me feel more loved or that God is more pleased with me? I hope not. Do you feel like right now, because you got up on Sunday morning and came to Sunday school, that God loves you more because of that? That you're holier? That you're closer or more rightly in relationship with Him? I hope not. We have to constantly evaluate if there is any law in us. Because if there is, it must be ruthlessly removed. Law cannot exist with grace. It just doesn't work. So application number two. God is telling a bigger story. And this is one of the things that I love about the scripture. It's this big, beautiful plan of redemption that God creates a perfect world and we messed it up. And we had to cover ourselves with leaves of a tree. And what does he do? 4,000 years later, he sends the answer and he nails it to a tree. And 2,000 years after that, we're still looking back at that tree and going, yep, that made all the difference. So God's telling a bigger story. So what do I do with that? Look for the bigger story and share it. How do you fit in the bigger story? How, what part do you play? Are you familiar with that? I hope you are. It's one of the great reasons to study the Bible as a whole, to see the bigger story. The bigger story is important. It helps to point out the details and make them a lot more clear. So application number three, the law is bondage and grace is freedom. Next week we start Galatians chapters five and six, and it's all about freedom. I hope you like freedom because you're going to hear me say that word a lot over the next couple of months. The law is bondage and grace is freedom. So what do I do with that? I'm glad you asked. Cling to grace. Cling to grace. Now the great thing about grace and God's love for us is that He's holding us tighter than we're holding on to Him. It's a beautiful construct. It's a wonderful way to do things. But it's something that we need to be aware of. That when we cling to the law and make ourselves look good, we try to make ourselves look good, but we really don't. So cling to grace. So, a couple of things before you go. Please remember to pray for us. There's a lot of Stuart Heights folks helping out on the Team Andrew build. If you want to help, steps the number two hope.com. You can go there and sign up. Two, on your tables is a sheet. Please make sure you sign in. If somebody's left or has come in early and didn't sign in, please get their names, write them on the sheet. Get them to Darla Skinner. 
She's going to do attendance for us this morning. Number three, write your prayer request down on those sheets of paper. Pray as a table, and you'll be dismissed after one more announcement. We have a sign-up sheet for uh, online for the Ericsons. Uh, they just had a baby, and we committed to take meals to them. And quite frankly, we have dropped the ball. We need to fix that. So at the top of that handout for the Sunday School attendance list is directions on how to sign up for meals for them. We need to get this done. So before you go to church this morning, pull out your smartphones, sign up for a day. All right? I hope to see you out at the job site in the next few weeks. And uh, you never know. Maybe this tan will look better by next week. So uh, my love to you guys. Hope you're having a great day. And uh, let's pray as a table. Uh, each one of your tables and you're dismissed. And go worship Jesus this morning. I'll see you next week.